So we're in First Corinthians chapter eight. We're going to read the whole whole thing, which is only about thirteen verses. I'll read one verse, and you read the next. Here we go, verse one. Now concerning food sacrificed to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Knowledge pops up, but love builds up. But anyone who loves God is known by God. Indeed, even though there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as in fact there are many gods and many lords. All right, let's try that better. Okay, verse seven. It is not everyone, however, who has this knowledge, since some have become so accustomed to idols until now they still think of the food they they eat as food offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But take care that this livery of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. So by your knowledge, those weak believers are destroyed for whom Christ died. Therefore, if food is a cause of their their falling, I will never eat meat, so that I may not cause one of them to fail, to fall. The word of the Lord. Uh, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We pray that your word would uh, speak to our minds, speak to our hearts, that we'll come honest to you and realize where we need to receive this word and what areas in our lives. I pray that your spirit would help our mind to understand and then your spirit to convict our hearts and in that we'll see your love and grace that would lead us and that would change us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, so Paul is continuing to answer questions the Corinthians have wrote to him in the letter. We did that last week, right? Last week, the Chapter 7 we spoke of was a lot about marriage, a lot about divorce, about singlehood and um, singleness and all of that. So that was last week. And But what we noticed last week is that he didn't really give a straight answer, right? He didn't answer to, okay, this is what you should do. Instead, um, he just said, well, you know, it's kind of, it's sort of up to you to decide, right? Use your knowledge, be wise, be Christian, and figure it out for yourself. That's the kind of the way that he's answering the question. And in his, in his uh, dealing with the issue, he teaches something that's more foundational uh, and something that really is at the core of their question, of their issue. So he's kind of doing the same thing here. This week, the issue is about barbecue, right? So we should really had this last week before we had the barbecue last week. But that's the issue. Today is about barbecue. So here's the issue hand. If you... Um, can think of, and I'm going to explain what we're dealing with here, what the Corinthians are having, the issue they are having. I want to see if you can relate it back to 
a, a, a similar issue that we have in modern days. Because obviously we don't have temples and buying meats that's offered to, as a sacrifice at temples. But we do have similar issues that we can deal with as the Paul is dealing with the uh, issue for Corinthians here. So in Corinth, eating meat is, you know, it's more just complicated than just like for us going to Costco and buying it. Um, because there are lots of temples and sacrifices are made at temples and there's festivals like 4th of July um, and there are occasions like for imperial uh, celebration type of thing like the President's Day and all of these occasions are at temples meet being offered as sacrifices. It's like worshipping, right? Worshipping, people get together, they have a barbecue parties basically on these at temples with meat offered. So people get together, they slaughter, kill an animal as a sacrifice and um, to some fake gods or uh, there some you know the fake religions, the leaders of the Rome or whatever, and that's what they do. And and they eat. They have a barbecue, and everybody eats. Um, so there's a lot of meat when you you know kill a whole cow. There's a lot of meat to go around. So people eat, and whatever's left are sold to a meat market. So this is this is how the life was. This is the way to get meat. You don't go to just store and buy. The meat you get is either you eat at the temple or you buy something that came from the temple. It's really hard to figure out is this meat came from just animal from the uh, the you know the field or was it offered to as a sacrifice in the temples. It's hard to know. So for Christians, you know, um, in Corinth, some of these people became Christians and now they're conflicted. They say, well, we know that we're not supposed to eat meat that's offered as a sacrifice to idols or what do we do? Is this okay that we eat this meat? Is this defiled? You know, what do we do? So it's a sensitive issue, especially in Jerusalem, because there's a whole lot of talk about, in other letters, about Jerusalem telling Gentiles, well, you cannot eat meat. And this is actually an argument that Paul has with Peter. Paul argues against Peter about this issue. So it's a sensitive issue, just like uh, circumcision, right? which is also another sensitive issue, which Paul last week said, oh, circumcision is nothing. So this week, with another insensitive issue, Paul is saying, oh, whatever you eat, it doesn't matter. Um, so he's kind of throwing out there, but this is an issue that obviously, just like last week and throughout this book, gets divided into half, one, two sides, right? And like last week, we've seen two sides. One is conservative, right? That's easy. The other side is what? Liberal. Right? Conservative side is saying, no, you cannot eat meat. We need to follow, and you cannot, it's defiled, you can't even go near it. Liberals are saying, well, it's not really, you know, there's no God, really. We, the only God that we worship, God we worship is the only God. It really doesn't matter. It was just the act which we don't believe in, so none of this really matters. We can eat whatever we want. So, that's the issue, but to add on to this, there's socioeconomic issue here as well. So things are more complicated. The poor, the poor people which are the majority in this church and in the, uh, in the city of Corinth, didn't really get to, don't really get to eat that much, right? Because they're expensive. So the only way, the only time they get to eat steak <laughs> is if they go to temple and uh, somehow gets into this thing and eat meat for free. Uh, or, Somehow there's a leftover and it's sold really cheap, then they can buy it and take it to, take it home and have barbecue and eat steaks. 
And you know, everybody loves meat. Who doesn't love steak? Unless you're vegetarian. <laughs> I love meat, right? So, you can understand the poor people trying to get their hands on meat because, you know, they want to feed their children steak. Right? So, that's the way that for Paul, it was really hard. So, you don't, you know, it's hard to blame them. Now, the rich ate meat at temples. Um, and, you know, they're, they're buying, you know, meat from and barbecue at temple and they'll take it home. Right? They had no problem. Uh, there was an um, article um, that highlighted one of the most popular restaurants in Rome now is a, a restaurant and they have Italian food, pasta and whatnot. But inside the restaurant, there are pillars that belong to one of the temples in the, from the you know, ancient days, like in uh, 2nd century and 3rd century. So they kind of highlight it in the restaurant. They look, in our restaurant, there's these artifacts. You can, it's there. It was there since 2nd century. But what they may not know, or maybe they do, is that actually in the ancient days, all the major restaurants, especially like steakhouse, like Chris with the steakhouse types of thing, were at the temple. So temple is where you would go to have steak. It's like a restaurant. Because meats go through, get chopped off, come out, and they serve meat there. So rich people would go to the temple to go to a steakhouse. And so that's kind of how it was. So it was sold right outside in the courtyard, uh, which was called Agora. Um, they would sell it there and eat there. So rich people just go to the temple area and just eat nice steak and buy meats there. So the issue here is, when Paul here in what we read, talking about weak and strong, there's also a double meaning of weak being the poor people and strong being the rich people. And this is an issue that we're going to see later on as well because there's going to be conflict between the, uh, the difference in socioeconomics in the church. How strong, how the rich is treating the poor uh, is going to be one of the issues that Paul talks about. So, um, here's what their argument is. And that's what we see. The issue is about eating meat and their argument is this. For those who wants to eat meat, uh, steaks, their argument is obviously throwing the theology at it, right? That's what they're doing. Well, here's my argument. Let me throw a theology at you, which is really typical, right? Uh, and so Paul quotes their arguments in verse 4. says, Hence, as to the dealing of food offered to idols, we know that, you know, as you said, no idol in the world really exists, and that there is no God but one. Which is great. That's true, right? That's true. And Paul adds onto it, uh, one of the great statement of faith that we come to know. Um, verse 6, Yet for us there is one God the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. This is one of the earliest and greatest statement of faith that we have. And basically what it says is, One God, one Lord, both creator of all things. From the beginning. So, What's our faith as a church? Do you guys know what is our statement of faith? We believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. We sang a song about it, right? So uh, the creed, what we believe. On the bottom, here is statement of faith, really a short statement of faith that uh, of a church that we have on our website. And it says, The creation of all things and the promise of love, justice, and mercy are from God and only in Christ 
the salvation and hope is offered to who? All people. All people to whom we are called to love. That's great, right? That simplifies and really says a lot. I know I'm bragging. <laughs> simplifies. <laughs> no, there isn't. <laughs> okay. So, you know, the, the really the foundational stuff is what? There is how many gods? One God. We believe in one God. We are, it's called monotheism, right? There is one God. There are three major religions in the world that believe in one God. What are those? Muslim. Muslim. Islam. Islam. Judaism. Judaism and Christianity. Right? We believe in one God. And actually, we all talk about the same God from the beginning. God of Abraham. But we also believe in what? One Lord. Jesus is God. That's what we believe. We believe Jesus is God. They don't. We're the only one who believe that Jesus is God. And that He saved us. Also, we believe that God is here. And God is near. We believe in the Holy Spirit living inside us. That's only us. No religion in the world would tell you that God is here. They say God is up there. And somehow, if we do these things, that's how we get to be near God. We believe God came, God stayed, God is here, and God is with us. Right? That's what we believe in. So these are foundational stuff that we at least got to know and be able to share and confess. So these Corinthians, you know, they're, they're right on their argument um, that there are, these are all fake gods and we worship the only true God anyway, so meat offered to idols means nothing to us. But it's not that simple for everyone, right? It's not that simple for everyone because people have complications. They have their different backgrounds and different situations and issues. So what are the modern day issues that are similar to this? What would it be? We're talking something that's not in the Bible indicating clearly as sin, both in New Testament and Old Testament. Right? There are something that's so clear, right? Like don't, do not steal. That's that's sin. We know that, right? Do not murder. You know, all the stuff in you know, Ten Commandments, uh, idol worshipping and adultery and all of that, it's clear in the Bible that's sin, right? Homosexuality, it's clear in the Bible that's sin. Drunkenness, it says it's sin, right? Uh, and we're also talking about something that happened in the Old Testament, but it's not so clear, um, like circumcision, meat eating, Sabbath keeping. We made a lot of fun of that about Sabbath keeping that it, you know, Jews keep. Which are the laws that meant to distinguish and separate God's people from other nations, but it's no longer necessary because Christ came, and by Jesus we are, we distinguish ourselves as God's people. So, there are stuff that's so clear in the Bible, and when, you, when we commit it, you can say, oh, that's sin. And we know it, right? So, what are the modern day issues that are not so clear? Tattoos. Tattoos, great. You know, people ask, is it sin to have a tattoo? You know, a lot of old ladies, old Christian people, or, you know, you go to Midwest and they would tell you that you shouldn't have tattoos, right? Look down upon you. Um, what else? Smoking cigarette? Like, what are the things people ask? Like, is it sin? Are you Christian if you do these things? Like, if you have a tattoo, does that mean you're not Christian? Right? What if you smoke cigarettes? This was a whole big issue when actually cigarette was smoking cigarette was popular in back in 90s, um, not anymore or 80s and you know 90s and 
Um, I remember bringing one of my friends, Japanese guy from Japan, and I took him to church. This is in like Southern California. Took him to church, and you know everybody smokes then, right? Um, so he's like smoking cigarette in the parking lot, and we went to church, and church parking lot, and these two men ran down and would start like yelling him to leave the parking lot because he was smoking. Like, come on, <laughs> right? He's like, what did I do wrong? <laughs> like, well, you know they're a little sensitive about these things, but is smoking cigarette sin? Right, but is it sin? Yeah, well, <laughs> exactly, right? It's complicated, right? It's 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 an issue that's not clear. What else? Piercings, piercings, nose piercing, whatever piercing, right? Piercing. Halloween, dressing up like, yeah, people say Halloween is celebration of the devil. You shouldn't. I hate it when church do that, that, right? And they they they, they put a, they put up a lame name like Holy Wind. Or, yeah, right. <laughs> it's so dumb, right? Um, <laughs> uh, right, like, what is it? Okay, what else? Smoking weed. Well, it's illegal in some places. Um, but is it sin? It's so, you know, natural. God invented, God created weed. Um, so, it's tricky. What else? Alcohol. A lot of Christians struggle with that. Like, we shouldn't even touch alcohol, right? Um, I worked at a club and bar. I, you know, as a bartender in the past. I actually worked as a bartender while I was going to seminary. Cool. Right? <laughs> Don't tell it to other people. Uh, right? But is it wrong? You know, people are, you know, sensitive. In Church of the Nazarene, we, we, we are for a complete... What's the word for it? Um, yeah, absence uh, of any kind of you know alcohol and also so as a Nazarene, I don't drink um, when I'm with other people <laughs> because I honor the the guide, the rules and laws of uh, bylaws of the church. But it's in a gray area where some denominations say no, that's sin. Some say, oh, we can drink as long as we don't get drunk. What else? Did you know in the old days, Church of the Nazarene, we had bylaws that prohibited people from going to movies? Back in the 60s, if you went to movies, that's sin. <laughs> Along with that, we also had a dancing in there. If you're dancing, that's sin. So, you know, uh, it was a sensitive issue because that's the time when all the shaking, dancing, Elvis Presley thing was going on and Christians were so, you know, scared and <laughs> sensitive. Um, so we had that. Right? So what other issues are there? Gambling? Is gambling sin? I don't know. No, it's gray line, right? It's it's complicated, right? Gambling, clubbing, uh, music. about eating meat nowadays. I mean, vegetarians. What would they say? Right? It's we're we're harsh on animals and all this meat being farmed. Um, slavery, modern day slavery, still an issue, right? What about for some of you guys, like from uh, the Asian culture, like going to your tomb using the grave sites and bowing down and doing that stuff? Is that idol worshiping or is it not? It's complicated, right? It's complicated. What about like, you know, the whole thing about, well, the big issue, abortion, execution, immigration. Right? 
where do we stand in this sin? I mean, there are issues, there are modern day issues that are similar to this where we have to sit and think. So, Paul, in dealing with situations like this, you know, the other one way would be the going through the way of like fundamentalists, right? Just to say, oh no, that's sin, shouldn't do that. And in addition, here are more rules for you to obey, right? That's what fundam- fundamentalists do. They make up the rules and just say, here's what to do and here's what to not do. And you look at Paul and the issues that was concerning last week and this week, he could have just said, oh no, don't do that. Here's the rule, I'm making it up. Here's the rule, this is my rule, you will all obey and donate meat. But he could have done that, right? He could have done that easily. But he doesn't do that. He offers non-solution solution. So, he, so here's how we should approach these issues according to Paul. I got four questions. Number one, is this something that is against rules in the Bible? Laws in the Bible? If yes, then that settles it, right? For issues like we talked about, like murdering, stealing, uh, homosexuality. We say it's sin. But that doesn't mean we condemn these people for doing it. We recognize it's sin, but we also love and let them know that God loves you still. Because they need to know it's sin so that they will stop doing it and they'll turn to God because they know that God loves them still. Right? So it's simple. If the issue is that is it in the Bible as a sin? Yes, then settles it. If not, then we have the room to move around, right? We have a freedom to move around in that. So, the question then becomes, can I do this? For example, smoking cigarette, because no one's doing it anymore. Can I smoke cigarette? The question is, not can I, it turns into what? Should I smoke cigarette, right? So the question is now, should I? So, second question to ask is, what does my conscience say? Because that's what Paul is talking about. There are people who are weak and strong. What does your conscience say? Because some sin for some people is not the same as it is for another. Right? There are some different people, different culture, different places, different times, different circumstances where a thing can be a sin and not a sin. And plus, your, your, your conscience changes. It used to be sin for you, but it may not be anymore because you mature, you grew out of it, now you're strong. So, the bad thing is, people who have their conscience on certain things as sin would bind other people with their sin, with their conscience. These are the fundamentalists, right? Hey, I, I can't drink, I don't drink, so you shouldn't drink either. At all. Right? That's what these people do. They make up rules. Up to their, you know, because of their conscience. Like, I don't like to eat meat, I'm vegetarian, everyone should be vegetarian. And we should conserve energy and save the earth, and everyone should be riding bicycles. <laughs> you know, recycle or whatnot. Right? The people are, the bad people are the ones who bind other people to their own conscience. But everyone has different conscience. So, when it comes to these things, when we're not sure, the second question is, what does your conscience say? Do you feel that you are, that this isn't what would please God as you're doing it? This is something that would lead you away from God. 
You know, things like that. Gambling. Is it an issue for you? It's not for me, but it's an issue for some people, right? Third question is, exactly that. Where am I weak? And I'll tell you, all of us are weak and all of us are strong at different things. There are part of things that you're very strong and there are part of things that you are weak. So, it's important to recognize where you're weak and where you're strong. You know, um, if you're strong, then it's okay to go there, right? Like, I'm very strong with like gambling, alcohol. Like, I can go and be with people who drink and I have no problem. I'm not tempted in any way. Um, I'm okay. But people who have history of uh, drinking and partying, it's not a good place for you to go. So if you are weak at something, then you need to stay clear. Because your conscience is weak there. So it's not Paul, you can see in this letter, Paul's not favoring one over the other. The strong over the weak or weak over the strong. He's saying that everybody is weak in one way and everyone is strong in one, some ways. He's mentioning everybody. So the fourth question is what can I, how can I, what can I, how can I support my brother and sister who are weak at certain things? Right? Because the issue here is selfishness about your own right. Like, I don't care about other people. I'm okay when you do this. I feel strong about, you know, I feel I'm strong to not let this harm me in any way. I can do it. It's my right. It doesn't matter. I can do what I want. And, you know, I know the law. I know the theology. And that's what some Corinthians are saying. I'm fine with this. I'm strong. I know the theology. It doesn't matter to me. But what about others is what Paul is saying. So the question for us is, how are you supporting your brother and sister who are weak? You should accommodate others in their weakness, is Paul's point, right? Um, it, and it's not just obvious ones like alcohol, but also different sins like laziness, you know, not being responsible, greed, gluttony, or whatever it might be that people are struggling. Like, for example, you know, don't go out if one of your friends has to do homework. And, and do their work, right? Don't say, after Bible study, hey, let's all go out and, you know, go to, um, what's that place we go? Used to go, some island. Golden. Yeah, Golden Island. Let's go to Golden Island. Well, this guy has homework to do and he has his, you know, exam next day. Don't, you know, help the person, right? Um, don't entice them with talk about, like, if there, you got people who are, so into like games and stuff, you know, don't entice them in talking about like Minecraft. <laughs> right? <laughs> Hannah's friend does this all the time. I'm trying really hard to get Hannah's mind off of this thing and she meets this girl, Bella, and she says, hey, did you know that you can do this and do that? Um, you got friends who struggles with, you know, wasting time on games and not being productive and lazy. Don't talk about games with them, right? Hey, have you tried this? You're just trying to build up conversation, I know, but... Don't entice them, right? Like people who are who are struggling with like materialism and have issues with money, um, and issues you know having to show stuff to people. Like don't show off your iPhone six plus, Randy. Um, you know, to someone who can, someone who can afford it, you know, or have an issue. Don't show your materialism and you know 
tempt people with greed, right? Um, don't offer food to someone who has an issue with gluttony, right? Don't eat Twinkies in front of them, or donuts, right? Um, or, you know, take them to all-you-can-eat barbecue. You know, don't tempt people who are struggling with these things. Or um, gambling issue, you know? Uh, people who are struggling with gambling, don't say things like, you want to bet? <laughs> right? Or, you know, some playing cards. and So, Paul's point is this. He's saying, and he says this in verse 9. You look at it. He says, but take care that this livery of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. You have freedom, but be careful for the sake of others. And when you think about Jesus, he, he was the best in living this way, right? What did he do? He hung out, right? He ate, he went to festivals, parties, a lot of house parties, you know, where there's music and really bad people hanging out. But he went there, he hung out, he broke a lot of cultural taboos, like teaching women, hanging out with the women, hanging out with, the being friends with prostitute women, um, you know, hanging out with thieves, alcoholics, gluttons, all the bad people, all the sinners. Jesus did it. He led the way, right? But when he was doing it, he accommodated them. He didn't do what they did. When they came and confessed, he told them, stop doing what you're doing. But he loved them, right? And he helped them, support them. Verse 11, Paul says, So by your knowledge, which is what you think you know and defending your actions selfishly, um, those weak believers for whom Christ died are destroyed. It's pretty clear how serious this issue is, right? Continues in verse 12, it says, But when you thus sin against members of your family and wound their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. So it's not a small issue. It's a big deal. So I think today's text uh, is leading us to reflect on, you know, have you made your brothers and sisters stumble? It got me to think, you know, I think um, through my maturity and years I've been through, um, I'm strong in many things and maybe I don't think enough about others. And when I do things I do. Uh, has someone caused you to stumble? How can you avoid it? What can you say to that person? These are things that we can reflect on. But let me close with this thought though. Um, you know, Paul is always laying out a deeper teaching when he's addressing an issue, right? He's done that before and he does the same thing here. And here he lays out the foundation of his teaching in the first few verses we see. So verse 1, he says, now concerning food sacrificed to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Knowledge pops up, but love builds up. Anyone who claims to know something does not yet have the necessary knowledge. Person who declares to know something, Paul is saying that person is headed the wrong direction. Right? Can you think of someone like this? Person who claims to know, like, I know theology, I know Bible. I know philosophy. I know world religion. I met a few people who tell me, you know, then this is how it is. That's how it is. This is what I read. And some of you encounter people like that. In this community too. <laughs> right? You encounter people like that. Right? They're headed wrong direction. If 
it's not they what they know is bad, which is good, but what is wrong is that they claim and in their in their claim they're arrogant. And that's been the issue that Paul is addressing. You are arrogant. You know, more you learn, more you realize that you know little. You never met someone who has PhDs and many doctoral degrees claiming that they're expert of anything, even though they are. They say, well, I know a little bit about this field. I've studied long enough. You know, more you know, you confess that you know little. Let's literally, you know, kids, including my child, say, I know this stuff, you know. <laughs> kids do that, right? They, um, but also, when you claim knowledge, when you claim that you know something, you also claim power. To abuse power. You say, hey, I know this stuff. Knowledge is power. So, Paul is saying that knowledge puffs up, which is a special word that Paul uses in this letter. But love builds up because love accommodates, love understands, love cares, love does this, etc., etc. We'll get to chapter 13, which is the love chapter. So you see where Paul is headed. He's saying love builds up. Love is not like arrogance, not like pride, right? not like selfishness. So in the end, it's simple. Our faith, and it's what we say all the time, if you love God, what do you do? You love people, right? If you love God, you love people, which means you accommodate to their weakness, let go of our rights. But here's another thing that Paul says, verse 3, which is a very short one. He says, but anyone who loves God is known by God, known by Him. One who opens to love God will be known by God and therefore truly know God. So let me go back to Steve Chung's talk. It's not who you know, but ultimately, you know, like you would say this, like I, I just told some of you, hey, I know Bobby Brown. Does Bobby Brown know me? No. No. Like I could say, I know Sean Penn, because I met him a number of times at the airport when I was working for United Airlines. Does Sean Penn know me? No. No, he does not, right? We would like to say this, hey, I know this person, I met him a couple, you know, couple of times. Does that person know you? Most likely not, right? We like to claim that we know somebody, but what does really matter? What matters is, does this person know you, right? So, it's the same thing. Who we know is important, but ultimately, who knows us, who knows you, is even more important, right? Because we all have, there's a longing to be known, Deep inside us. Every soul longs to be known. And if you've ever been in any relationships, and you talk with any teenagers, and there are several of you, what do they want? Talk about themselves. Right? Because I wish someone would notice, notice or understand me. That's the whole thing. Like, even married couple, my wife really doesn't, and I'm not saying her. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Married couple say, you know, my husband, my wife doesn't really know me. That's our longing in our soul is to be known. Who would possibly understand me? Who would possibly know me deep inside? So it's not just who we know that matters. Ultimately, it's who knows you. And Paul says here, is known by God. God knows you 
God knows you. But do you know that God knows you? The the whole thing about you know Jesus' parable about prodigal son. Prodigal son runs away, rebellious, spends all the money, comes back home and says to father, Father, I'm not worthy, I'll just be your slaves. And father accepts him as a son. And only then, when he really gets to know, receive that love of the father, he knows that he's loved. And you know, God's love is the same as this. You know, you, we learn that God loves us. You know, you learn that God loves you. Then you realize, in that process, along the way, what really hits us, what really hit me is that God knows me. <clears throat> and some of us just hear that thought, oh, God loves me, God loves me, I know, I know, I know, I know. But when it really hits, is that God knows me. Deep within. Every little thing. And then, we're happy, we're scared, we're embarrassed, all at the same time. Right? And we say, well, how can He love me if He knows me? And we see the cross. And say, oh, He still loves me even though He knows me. And then we really get to love God because we truly understand that God loves us. And when we love God, we love others. And that's what we celebrate. That's what we come. We are reminded how God loves us when we celebrate and share in the communion and which Ken's going to lead us into. Loving God is to know that we are known by God. And that knowledge leads us to love God in return and, and love others. Let me pray. Jesus, aside from how to deal with the issues, and there are a lot of things for us to talk about, but I pray that all of us will be reminded and know that there's you who knows us. And that's all we want, that's all we long for, that's all we desire, and it is enough that you know us. Help us to know and believe, and, and furthermore, believe that you love us nonetheless, even if you know the deep things inside of us, and that you understand. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen.